Assurance of Pardon is sponsored by Logos Bible Software, the most advanced Bible study tool for both ministers and laypeople. Available on iOS and Android for phones and tablets, as well as on your Windows or Mac computer or laptop. Get the most of your time in the scriptures with Logos Bible Software. For more information and 15% off your next Logos package plus five free ebooks, visit assuranceofpardon.com slash logos. Now on with the show. Welcome to Assurance of Pardon, a podcast about the gospel, the Bible, the church, what it all means, and why it all matters. I'm Scott Davis, pastor of Hope Presbyterian Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And I'm Gage Jordan, an intern at Christ Church Conway, and I have graduated seminary, Scott, so I no longer, longer can say seminary student. I'm in the process to finish up ordination. Yeah, and you and your wife had a baby just recently. We did. She will be five months on the 6th. So, oh, and that's not recent at all. So, never yeah. mind. I apologize. <laughs> yeah, we're we're slowly, slowly, slowly working into more sleep. It's a beautiful thing. Well, our listeners will know we've been we have been off the grid for a little bit and have not recorded an episode, and so we finally just decided. Well, let's just say this is season two, episode one, right? And that makes this entire uh, delay seem um, uh, purposeful. When it was it was not that. It's just been a, a perfect storm of other things. So, uh, Gage, throughout season one, we were talking about um, Christian liturgy, uh, reform theology, on, and on each episode in season one, we unpacked a ver- various elements of. Uh, corporate worship. Uh, we talked about corporate confession of sin and assurance of pardon, passing the peace, the Lord's Supper, the preached word. And so now we're back in season two, and we're excited to have a special guest with us today. We've got a, a number of special guests that are going to be joining us uh, throughout season two, but we have got a uh, 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 friend, John Moffat from the Theocast. John is who I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> amen. Um, amen. And, and the Theocast is what you're setting that bar pretty yeah. low. <laughs> uh, the Theocast is is the is a podcast that I point people toward quite often when they are when they are saying, "Is do you have any?" I really liked Assurance of Pardon, but do you have anything better? You <laughs> that happens more than we'd like to admit, but yeah, yeah. And so, uh, so John is from Southern California, and he and his wife Judith have four children. And he is a the pastor of Grace Reformed Church in Spring Hill, Tennessee. And so, uh, John, thanks for joining us. Absolutely, it's good to have him being with you guys this morning. Yeah, John. Uh, John and I uh, met at the fifteen seventeen conference. We have some mutual friends there in in uh, uh, Daniel Price and Eric Sorensen, and so it was uh, it was a, a a good meeting there and. Uh, uh, but John, you are coming from the the uh, uh, the Baptist side of the Reformed umbrella, and Gage and I are kind of in the Presbyterian side. But there's a, a great deal of uh, of uh, shared uh, view about the gospel and, and what it is. So, tell us a little bit about what the Theocast is and and what your emphasis are. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we started Theocast uh, almost five years ago, and the goal was to to bring other people into the conversation about transitioning out of pietism into rest, and we believe that rest traditionally and historically has been found 
in an appropriate and proper understanding of Scripture. And we believe that confessions is really what grounds you and creates those bumpers of kind of falling off into all kinds of theological craziness that's been out there for the last 2,000 years. So Theocast really started having uh, very basic ground-level conversations on um, pulling apart some of the structures that evangelicalism has put in place. And, you know, some of just the, the law, we use the word pietism a lot. Pietism is uh, the idea of this introspection of constantly looking inward to establish or create um, a personal relationship with God. So God is good with me when I we look intro- introspectively. And we uh, believe that the confessions and scriptures points us to the objective realities of Jesus Christ. They point us out. So we look outside of ourselves to determine how well we are doing. We never look inside. And that's really what Theocast has been and is continuing to be. Uh, our primary message is to help the weary pilgrim find rest in Jesus Christ. And uh, we, uh, our ministry is really not based off of one confession. I mean, the host here, we all hold to the 1689, but we really try and push people towards confessionalism in general because we believe, I mean, if you compare uh, the, the, the Reformed confessions, the historic Reformed confessions, there's not, when it comes down to your resting in Christ— uh, there, there is no difference. There might be difference in right. understanding ecclesiology and some of the, some very small other doctrines. So, we really are pushing people towards finding a church that will lead them in a covenantal, confessional understanding of Scripture. And uh, it's been it's been wonderful to partner with all kinds of people and all different kinds of ministries to do that. But that's kind of our primary mission. Through that, we've seen uh, different churches that have been able to be planted. We're hoping to do more of that. Uh, and books that are being written. So we started as uh, four pastors all at the same church, fun conversations in the back office, threw a microphone around all of us, and all of a sudden, before we knew it, we had more people listening than we'd realized. And uh, it's been it's turned into a um, an, encour- an encouraging ministry for sure. That's awesome. Yeah, you you one of the one of the things I appreciated that you guys do is that you you. It, you give good categories of the faith uh, mm-hmm. of giving people some some uh, handle holds to to think through these things in in a day and age when in broader evangelicalism we just have such a high degree of theological illiteracy and um, so you used a term there that is so key for people to understand uh, what you guys are about what we're about and that is pietism could you spend right. a moment and tell us what what is pietism well, so a lot of this is a word that's not often used in Christianity anymore. Um, it, piety is a good thing. So we believe in piety. We promote it. We want it. Uh, piety is the outworking of our faith. So if you read passages of Scripture where it talks about, you know, Paul says, now that this is true of you, you've been transformed into the image of Christ, pursue holiness, pursue uh, the God-likeness uh, that reflects the goodness and the glory. And really that what the, the simplest way of understanding piety is to love God and love neighbor. And that's the reflection of piety. Pietism is a movement um, that, you know, really can be pointed back kind of in the beginning stages of parts of Puritism. Not all Puritism is bad, but parts of Puritism really started to emphasize the introspective where you are looking to yourself, you're looking inwardly. So your personal actions, your personal efforts will determine whether God's going to um, 
approve of you, bless you, and really give you assurance. And the most dangerous part about pietism is that your personal growth and effort determine your standing before God. Now, not everyone who struggles with pietism is Roman Catholic. They don't believe their good works save them. But there's a there's a way in which God is pleased with me or accepts me by the by my level of personal obedience. And so it's highly introspective. You're always looking in on your emotions, on your actions, on your level of um, suppressing of sin. And it becomes so focused on the individual that Christ is lost in the background. So piety has its emphasis on Christ. We look to Jesus, we find our hope, we find our goal. I mean, this is 2 Corinthians 3.18, or or, or chapter 4 even, when it talks about when the glory of God is shown in the face of Jesus Christ, we are transformed into his image. Uh, That's good piety. Pietism is what we would say is the Galatians 3, where they've begun by the Spirit, and now they're perfecting themselves by the flesh. So they're looking to their own emphasis, their own works, to say, I am becoming a better Christian because of my own efforts. So that's, I would say, on a top level, a difference between pietism and piety. Yeah, I had a fellow fellow pastor friend of mine in in the Presbyterian world get invited to do a, a Bible study at a local Christian evangelical college. And so he sat down with this group of, you know, uh, 19, 20, 21 year old uh, evangelical kids. And they just, de- he decided to take them to the book of Galatians oh boy. and he said something in week number one, he said, if you are in Christ, God is as pleased with you now as he is ever going to be. And he thought he was going to have a riot on his hands, like they're going to throw chairs, and turn over tables, and 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 he was he was just like, well, why are you guys? Why are you mad? Why, why are you pushing back on this? And, yeah. and they're like, well, what if I have a better quiet time? What if right. I, what if I pray right. longer than I play video games? And what if right. I watch TV less than I read the Bible? And and they just it was their heads were exploding at this idea that that God looks upon us with with the affections that he has for Christ. Yeah. So the hard part about that is the the scriptures give us indicatives and imperatives, right? They give us big statements about um, what Christ has done, who God is and who we are in light of that. And then the imperative. So how then we live. Right. Uh, especially in the epistles. So we have indicatives and imperatives that tell us what life in Christ should look like. The problem is it then oftentimes gets, you know, redirected as um, Psalm 24, um, who can ascend to the hill of the Lord, him who has a um, clean hands and a pure heart and who does not lift his soul to what is false. And so what happens then is someone takes that passage and they say, well, if you want to be in Christ, then you need to have clean hands. And this is what it looks like to have clean hands. And you need to have pure hearts. And this is what it means to have pure hearts. I mean, obviously, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, um, the pure in heart will see God. Don't you want to see God? Well, this is how you (laughs) hear five ways to have a pure heart, right? Um, don't swear deceitfully. This is what happens when you lie and, and don't lift your soul to what is false. And this is what that means. And they don't, <laughs> they don't deal with the fact that at the end of all the list of things that you're supposed to do to receive, uh, God's righteousness and blessedness, there's a, there's a say law, there's a pause because you should get to the end of that, 
section right. and go, uh oh. Um, I don't have clean hands. <laughs> I don't have pure, yeah, it doesn't matter how much hand sanitizer I put on, it's you know, it's we got a problem, right? And that's that's what pietism right. does for sure. It gives you the to do list and the problem is every time you mess up the the results are catastrophic and you're either gonna constantly feel like you're put, pushing the boulder up the hill or eventually, because I've talked to these uh, people, you'll go, yeah, I'm, I'm out. That's right. Oh yeah. Very, I, I got to that point. My first, my first ministry, I was a youth pastor and, um, all I preached was pietism and I, it, I wore myself out. I can remember coming home and telling my wife, I don't even like my own sermons. And, uh, it's, it's mm-hmm. pietism will, will absolutely beat you down. What's hard is that people think what you're saying is there's no need for good works. And right. to, it's, it's not an either or system. Uh, I've been preaching through Hebrews recently, and this verse has become so precious to me. So Hebrews chapter 11, what is that known as, right? The great hall of faith, right? It's like all these heroes of the faith. And I love how the writer of Hebrews starts the chapter. He says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, what is it pointing back to? What's the it? Faith. The people of old received their commendation. So right. what's fascinating is that the the what comes next is he's talking about Abel and Noah and Abraham which I'm reading through Genesis again right now and man you, you just forget how messed up Abraham is he is just Oh absolutely. I mean he's a jackwad. I mean he, it's amazing the stuff that that guy does and yet God commends him for I mean of course he had like this one moment this one moment in his life where he decided he was going to obey God and not you know sacrifice his son but the point of it is is that he commends them for their for their faith chapter 12 what does he begin with looking unto Jesus the the founder and perfecter of your faith so he grounds the believer in assurance by faith alone and then points to their conduct he says okay now if this is true then you should love one another and you should refrain from sexual sin. So we say at Theocast, the way you live the Christian life is status forward. You establish your status as being assured by God by faith alone. And from that moment on, James 2 comes into play. Faith without works is dead. But unfortunately, in evangelicalism, we flip it and we establish our faith by our works. Mm -hmm. And that's what uh, creates pietism. Yeah, John, I, I grew up hearing uh, Hebrews 12.1, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and it was explained <laughs> to me, basically, Scott, you're on the football field, and every uh, your your grandparents who died, and and yeah. and Martin Luther, and, well, they probably wouldn't have mentioned Martin Luther. No, but, no way. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> all of these, all of it, they're watching you now to see how you're going to do. That's right. And... and and so there, you don't want to disappoint your fans here. And so it's just, it's all about me and the spotlight on me rather than recognizing that the thing that they are witnesses to is, is to the promises of God and to the, the, the God of, of Abraham yeah. and Isaac and, and of Christ. And, and so that, that we, we take the spotlight there and we just with a little tiny tweak, we turn the spotlight off of, of what Hebrews 11 is getting to yeah. and we put it back on ourselves. Mm. I, uh, I think that, that, uh, 
when when you see first John chapter five that says, I write these things that you may know that you're saved, and yet we have we have uh brothers and sisters in the pietistic world that take those words of comfort and then they teach the book of first John as a diagnostic or a checklist. Right. As if John is saying, Dear children, I write these things to you that you may wonder if you're saved. Yeah. Right. To 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 sow doubt. Yeah. And 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 just a, a tiny little tweak of a, a book that I write these things so that I may give you so that I may give you comfort, I may give you encouragement, and, and yet and yet they, they, they tweak it and they sow they sow um doubt. Uh, yeah. I mean uh, it's almost twisting Jesus' words come unto me and I will give you anxiety. <laughs> Because that's what or, pietism does. Pietism puts the assurance of the believer in constant question for the sake of moral improvement. So they're constantly worried about them, you know, becoming lazy Christians. And, you know, a lot of people who start listening to Theocast, that's the question they ask. Well, what do you do with lazy Christians? And I was like, you mean struggling Christians? Right. <laughs> lazy means that they're just not meeting your standard. <laughs> yeah, and even going back to... Um Psalm 24 that comes to mind because that's the passage I'm preaching this week. But like the the, ver- the first section ends with such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. And you're like, okay, I got to figure out how to seek him. If you're going to push it from a pietistic standpoint, the problem is people blow past that title, God of Jacob. Jacob mm-hmm. was his whole MO, like the reason that dude's named is because he grabs his brother's foot and he's trying to he's trying to advance himself at the expense of someone else from from the womb. That's how he gets named Jacob. <laughs> that dude is jacked up from the jump, right? That's his whole thing. And the Lord's like, "Yeah, I'm the god of that dude." Hmm. So, Amen. Yeah, we had a a, a church in our community, uh, a large church, and uh, they have a new pastor, and he did a sermon. Uh, and tell me how this does to, to, to so assurance or doubt. And he said to the congregation, if you are 99% sure that you're saved, then you are a hundred percent lost. Oh my. <laughs> and, and that, that little, that little clip, you know, got shared on Facebook wide. And I, I thought I cannot believe that brother actually really that's a great that's a great thing that's a great thing to say to 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 fill the altar with people coming forward to rededicate but but you know I've held the hand of a little old lady while she's dying a saint right. in the lord uh who's on her deathbed and, and of course as she's as, as death is near uh cuz she's cuz she's human mm. she she begins to ask me questions and and seek assurance. Right. And can you imagine saying to a lady who's about to pass away uh, that you, a lady who's served well in your church and you know to belong to Christ? Can you imagine saying to her, Mildred, if you're not a hundred percent sure that you're saved right now, I got I got bad news for you. You are completely lost. I mean, oh. there's no way that that brother would say that to a woman on her deathbed. And and yet we we mm. say that to you know our, our friend John our friend Daniel Emmy Price says we if we we can preach the gospel to a man in in hospice and we 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 preach nothing but Christ and His imputed righteousness right. and we can we can but but tell share the gospel with a fourteen year old boy 
and he's going to get a very different talk. <laughs> Why don't we just preach to everybody like they're about to die, as as Dan says? That's and right, man. That 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 absolutely rocked me. Um, well, we we are so grateful for the way you've the way you do that, um, the way that you explain Pietism versus confessionalism, and that's the same battle that that Gage and I are fighting in in our churches as well is to is to help weary people rest in the finished work of Christ. Mm. Um, tell us a little bit about your view of the Lord's Supper and yeah. what it is, and, and contrast it with maybe the 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 view you grew up with. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> well, we, uh, at our church, we take communion every single week and the way in which we communicate it to our congregation is that we are, we hold to a reform perspective of the Bible and of the tradition of scripture. Um, so we believe that it's a means by which that God comes in and spiritually strengthens our faith. He bolsters us up, and we we hold that the preaching of God's word, the public preaching and teaching of God's word, sacrament and prayer, and is the way in which that God comes in and He sustains and strengthens the believer. So we uh, every single week it, it's it's been fun to watch we have people from all walks of life um presbyterian bad presbyterian baptist pentecostal that that end up coming in to our church and they first few times taking communion is very different for them because they've never really heard the gospel like presented over them as they take communion and now you know you walk them six months down the road, and being in this whole COVID nineteen, the one text I get constantly is, "When are we taking communion?" <laughs> I cannot be wait to be together. So that first moment we took communion again, it was a very it was a very precious moment. Uh, but we believe that as the Word of God is presented uh, rightly over these elements, that God through the Spirit comes and bolsters and strengthens our faith. The way I grew up was this was uh, <laughs> this was a terrifying moment of whatever the quarter, bi-monthly, I mean, it wasn't every week because we didn't want it to become, you know, there's the fear of it becoming rote, you know, or, or benign or whatever. So they would prep you the week before, hey, this week you need to be in prayer because you don't want to take the, the table unworthily. And they wouldn't really ever explain what that meant other than, you know, basically you better not be in sin when you take this because you could um, you could eat it and die, and you know, which is a pretty scary thing for a teenager to hear. So you were – and then they would – before communion would take place, you would uh, have this moment of prayer where you could confess and – and which is all great things, and, and and I don't have a problem with it. But they removed the actual purpose of communion, and it and it really just became this moment of get your life right because you're about to remember the cross, which is the biggest irony of all ironies in my mind. Because the yeah. cross is about those who cannot get their lives in order, who cannot shape themselves up, and this is right. what we communicate in communion when someone comes and says, "If you." You are not going to participate this morning because you feel like you're too much of a sinner and your life's too out of disarray. You are the person who needs it. It's your faith that needs to be strengthened. Now, if you're here and you're taking communion to gain salvation, well, then that's not that's not uh, the purpose of it. So, yeah, it was the the moment I truly understand understood the means of grace and understood that communion is designed for me to really a taste and see the gospel. So we hear God's word and then there's the there is a 
uh, participation in which we receive. I mean, we're actually, when Jesus says that we're feasting on his body, John 6, there's a reality of as I need uh, food and water to sustain me, I need Christ's body and blood to spiritually sustain and strengthen me in my spiritual walk, which is very different. Uh, just, we're just remembering what Jesus did. It's periodical, and it's really kind of a scare tactic. Get your life together. Become a better moral person before you take this. Yeah, I had a, mm-hmm. a, a a buddy of mine who is an Anglican minister now, but he grew up in a in a in a uh, a missionary Baptist context, mm-hmm. and he pointed out that even as a as a teenager, when he was in that, when they would take communion, they would that they would say, "Now listen," that because they feared any sort of Catholic idea, right? The uh, uh, that this is a sacrament that this does anything. Mm-hmm. They said, "Listen, this is not magical. This cannot <laughs> strengthen you. It can't bless you. It can't do anything positively towards you. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have any magical ability to grow you, but it will damn you." Right. So it's (laughs) all negative. It's 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 either nothing or it's potentially poisonous. Right. And my buddy was just like, I that was begin that was where the wheels began to fall off for me. Well, why am I taking this? It sounds like Russian roulette all of a sudden. (laughs) Either nothing happens or I die. Right. Yes. And 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 so we're we're getting a subtle twisting of what the Lord's Supper actually is. Mm-hmm. I was a few years ago um, before I was the pastor here. I was I was a member of this congregation, and I was teaching Sunday school, and I was teaching on the Lord's Supper, and I I, I gave an explanation of what the supper is that it's for it's for people weary, it's for people that are hungry, it's to say I'm not going it, to it's for people who it's for people who see their sin clearly and know their need for Christ. And after it was over, I had this young guy who who was um, from a broader evangelical background who'd been visiting our church. He said, uh, when I, I knew that y'all were taking communion today, and I told myself and I told the Lord on the way here that I was going to sit this one out. I wasn't going to take communion today because, I, you know, basically because I've been a little extra sinful this week. Um, and so I knew that when all of you protect celebrated the Lord's Supper, I needed to sit on the bench, right? Like a like a player who just mm. didn't cut it in practice this week. And so when the big game happens, I'm going to ride the bench because I just I didn't make enough free throws this week. Um, and and he he said, but I'm actually going to take communion today because I've I've come to understand that that's exactly when I need to take communion. And so, man, I was, I was both encouraged and heartbroken that that view persists out there. Yeah. And I think it's important for people to understand that because there can be confusion. The elements separated from the heralding of the word of God is powerless. Mm -hmm. So bread and wine do nothing for you. Even within the, the, the structure of a church do nothing for you, but where they receive their power is in the administration of scripture and right. your faith in Christ, that's where the strength comes. Because people think, well, that how? I mean, that's that's so dangerous because you think bread and wine is going to do something for you. No, it does nothing for you other than, I mean, the stuff we use tastes horrible. Like, who would ever want to eat that? That's ridiculous. It's <laughs> gross. And it's warm grape juice or warm wine. It's like, ugh, yeah. who wants that? So, uh, but 
you know, and this is something I explain to our congregation that we don't just have this quiet moment and receive it. We receive them as the word of God powerfully is spoken over us and those truths of what strengthen us as we participate in this. Amen. I, uh, um, when you were talking about, about doing communion weekly, which we do as well at our mm-hmm. church Same. Uh, and over and against, over and against pietism. One of the things I find is that in some of our evangelical brothers, um, is that they've 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 removed the Lord's Supper as being a frequent celebration, mm-hmm. and instead they've actually replaced. There's a third sacrament for them, or maybe just there's one sacrament, and it's quiet time. Mm-hmm. You talked about that a little bit in your book, Safe in Christ, mm-hmm. is the the elevation of of uh, external things that we do like quiet time and turning those into a sacrament through which we grow. Yeah, man, that is a that is a huge. <laughs> This is a huge problem, and it's a really hard one to untangle for folks to begin to tell them that quiet time's not a sacrament. No. Quiet time's not the means that God has promised to give you um, to to grow. Um, I, when I have when I sit down with somebody who I realize holds that view, I feel like I feel like uh, the son in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation when his dad <laughs> hands him the the ball of Christmas lights and says, "Here." untangle these and it's just this big giant ball of lights right i feel that way when i'm when i'm talking to somebody who has who is is uh, uh, man there's a lot i gotta untangle here mm-hmm. and so that's why that's why you guys do the theocast that's why <laughs> that's why we're doing what we're right. doing absolutely b- because there's a there's a lot of of weary people who are yeah. 99% sure they're saved and therefore being told they're 100% lost and mm. it's it's heartbreaking. Well, and it's hard cuz you know, it, and the word sacrament's scary for a lot of people cuz they think it's, you know, Roman Catholic uh you know, sacrament. I mean, if you're brand new, if this is the first time you've heard the, their podcast, you know, sacraments is is something that's sacred presented by scripture and we believe that that you add and, and the promises that are connected to them, like baptism is also designed to strengthen our faith. And if we look to our baptisms to remind ourselves of what has happened to us in Jesus Christ. And uh, when the moment you tell people that the primary way in which God uh, strengthens the believer is not personal Bible reading, it's mind blowing for them. You know, we had this conversation last night at our men's Bible study. We're going through Dennis Johnson's book, uh, Finding Christ in All of Scripture, which is a, it's mm-hmm. a great book. Phenomenal. Uh, great book. introduction to kind of a covenantal, redemptive, historic understanding of Scripture. And he kind of goes at this a little bit. And the, the heart, so for instance, we are told in Scripture that the preaching of God's Word, the public preaching of God's Word, instituted by God, gifted by God, I mean, this is Ephesians chapter four, when the body functions properly, and he just got done talking about all the gifts of the spirit that God gives to the people of the church. He says, when the church functions properly, it builds itself up in love. You will never find us anywhere in scripture where it says the personal reading of God's word will build you up in love. Uh, Now, I will say the personal belief in the gospel, the personal belief in the truths of God will build you up. This is why it says in Acts 2 that they dedicated themselves to the teaching and the preaching of the apostles, right? And then to the fellowship and prayer. So the congregation at large is designed to fellowship, encourage, build one another up, confront each other. And then so people ask me, well, John, does personal Bible reading play a role at all in in your life? And And I think... This is why the reformers were wise in using 
ordinary means when they described? Because there are the the normal, what I would say, the normal primary means by which God strengthens you. But you and all of us, we've received a letter in the mail or an email or a phone call, and we had our faith encouraged and strengthened, right? But that's not the primary way ongoing day by day that God strengthens our faith. So I think for the the congregant, reading your Bible can and should be a great way to have uh, your faith strengthened, but it's not the primary way, and it's not even promised to be the primary way. Uh, the way I described it to my, my, the men last night, as I said, once you appropriately understand how to read God's Word, what it will expand for you is the knowledge of God. And then in that knowledge, you can, one, use that to strengthen and build up other believers, which in turn will do the same. Uh, but knowledge is not what strengthens your faith alone. I mean, you and I both know people who have multiple PhDs in biblical knowledge, and they are pagans as all get out. So knowledge does nothing. It's it's when it's appropriately used in, in – so this is what we believe confessionalism does, is it actually pushes you back to the appropriate sources, which is God's word with God's people in the local church. Amen. Yeah, and we yet we run into when you say what you say, you run into oh, that's like saying that uh, uh, being in a if, just because I'm in a garage, I'm a car, or just because I'm a McDonald's, I'm a hamburger. How many times have you? How many times have you run into um, that idea that's pushing back against nominalism? So, two things I want you to unpack for us yeah. and let our listeners hear, so they can have a taste of of. Uh, of your podcast and also uh, your new book, Safe in Christ, mm-hmm. which is available at theocast.org mm-hmm. right now. I feel like we um, need to do the R. Scott Clark, like we need to ring the bell after we, <laughs> after we've, we pushed his book. Look at there's the no bell here. Yeah. Uh, um, explain uh, the idea of nominalism yeah. as it relates, as it, as it predominates um, so much of broader evangelical preaching uh, over and against confessionalism, because you've done a good job of explaining confessionalism, but but what is nominalism? Yeah. It, so where this comes from, it, it's kind of rooted in the, the revivalistic movement, revivalism. I mean, think about the word revive, right? It means to make alive that which is either dead or has, uh, has lost its way. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> so revivalism is this uh, preaching to uh, to move people from the stagnant cold back to being on fire. And nominalism, there's this fear that if we don't keep pressure, we don't keep God's thumb on the Christian, then they're going to become lazy. They're going to become lax. And that means that they aren't going to be passionate about preaching the gospel, about their holiness, about the love of neighbor. So there's two options that you have. Uh, be- and your option is either to guilt them into obedience or to to uh, use fear-based tactics into um, obedience. And a lot of movements that have really exploded in, in modern-day uh, evangelicalism are based off of guilt and fear tactics. I would, I would say if you've ever read any of the Platt books on radicalism, he is going after the nominal Christian. And what he's going after is that lazy Christian who isn't that excited about 
and I know I just named names, so I'm sorry if I got in trouble here, but uh, no. <laughs> he, he is going after the, the Southern Baptist who kind of sits sitting on his haunches and doesn't really want to get involved, and he is creating a subset culture of Christianity where there's the lazy Christian and then there's the radical Christian. Uh, you know, Michael Horton, his book on Ordinary is a brilliant book. Because what he what he helps you understand is that there is no subset category of this a lazy versus radical Christian. Because what you're doing is you're creating Christianity to where God is pleased with those who are radical and displeased with those who are lazy. And uh, this is why I would point always point to if uh, Hebrews eleven two. He says he commends them for their faith, not their radicalness. He commends them for their faith, not their level of obedience. And so what every sermon ends up becoming is this push towards personal effort towards the lazy Christian. I think the Lordship Salvation uh, whole movement is is a part of this as well. And so you can see this, this angry preaching, this fear tactics, where we're constantly calling the believer's assurance into question. And if your emotional level isn't at the certain height that it needs to be, then you should be worried. And so your emotions are called into question. Your actions are called into question. Your finances are called into question. So you are constantly living in this fear of, am I doing enough to please God? And the loudest voice in the evangelical world determines the level. That's what just infuriates me is that somehow the guy who has the biggest ministry and the and the 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 best voice determines what the christian level of effort should be and it's really sad um, so that's what this is going after. And in really, you know, Finney back during the revivalism is the one who really sparked this. Man, he, you had the, the anxious bench where they were, you know, I don't know if you guys have ever heard the sawdust trail. Most people don't even know what that reference means, oh, yeah. but you throw sure. a tent up in a field. And after like the third night of people walking the aisle, all the grass is patted down and now you're left with dirt. And what happens, you got all these people trucking down dirt, kicks up dust everywhere. So what you do is you put down this oily sawdust and as they walk down the, the, the keep the dust down. And so it's like the sawdust trail becomes this, you know, moment where you preach hard on hell, you preach hard on people's, you know, drinking alcohol and, you know, their, their laziness and you get them to come down and rededicate their life to the Lord. And they live in this cycle of rededication instead of understanding that the Christian life is this dredge where you're constantly fighting back against the flesh while you are trusting in Jesus Christ. And sermons leading, if you read the Reformers, man, they're constantly leading people to find their assurance in Christ to fight back against the flesh. This is Paul in Galatians 3. It's brilliant, right? We're looking unto Jesus, not our flesh. This is the end of Colossians chapter 2. All of these things have an appearance of, of of wisdom, but they're of no value fighting against the flesh. So we're using fear tactics and guilt tactics to fight against the flesh when Scripture tells us that it's faith in Christ that fights against the flesh. So that's the way I would kind of describe nominalism. And it also, you know, it does two two big things. So you mentioned Finney. If you and this is this is Southern evangelicalism in a nutshell in the last hundred years, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. If you start your faith by having to pray a prayer, then everything from the point of faith throughout your faith, your sanctification now, 
um, gets flipped into your justification. And it's, mm-hmm. man, I prayed that prayer, but was that prayer enough? Do I need to pray another prayer? That's right. Um, well, so I started, I prayed that prayer at camp when I was eight, but now I'm, I'm 15 and I don't know that it's, it's stuck. Like, I don't, <laughs> did, like, was I, am I kept or do I need, yeah. you know, do I, it, I'm really, I'm not really good at this quiet time thing, right? Like, I can remember hearing the, the quiet time. I mean, don't get me wrong, I don't want to like, throw Bible reading under the bus. I think it's it's vital, right? We believe in word, prayer, and sacrament. You mentioned ordinary means. But I remember as a kid going, okay, quiet time. What does that mean? How do I do that? <laughs> what happens if I don't? Right. Or, or you know, we and, and it leads to, and we see it every year, you start at the beginning of the year with your Bible reading plan, and, and then you hit numbers, and you don't know what to do with that because you don't have a covenantal view of Scripture. And so you quit. You made it all the way to... You made it all the way to numbers. I've never made it all the way to numbers. Yeah, exactly. I think people get hung up in like chapter fifteen when Abraham's sleeping with his daughters, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a yeah. So there's there's that or the begats. If you're a KJV guy, the begats throw the you begats. off, right? But so you've got that that gets you know into the system of of Christianity, and also we totally shuck the doctrine of vocation that our Lutheran brothers are, are so adamant about. Mm-hmm. And so where the way it manifests itself is one or two ways. Either every bright young man that is decent at Bible reading and, and cares about the things of Jesus, he should go into the ministry, right? Um, and, and that that was kind of growing up, if you were anywhere near somehow kind of possibly got your stuff together on the Christian disciplines. Well, obviously, brother, you're called to ministry. Um, what that does is when they fail or they get burned out, they then doubt their faith because, well, this didn't work for me, so what do I do? Or, and I've watched this, they brothers, especially in the church, will tear themselves compared to the preacher or compared to the elder or compared to the deacon. So you mentioned ordinary, like what if I'm a plumber? Like how do I, how do I plumb to the glory of God? Like what if I'm an electrician? What if I'm a a waitress or a a waiter? Like how do I process um, my faith in light of that? Right. If I, if I read radical, I have to be, I have to sell everything I have and go to Tibeti or, or I'm secondary in my Christianity. Right. Um, right. and so I think the, the, the sinner's prayer and the doctrine, the, the lack of, or the, the pushback against the doctrine of vocation has led to this, um, mm-hmm. hopelessness. Yeah. Conversionism is, is dangerous. It's, it's everywhere. It's rampant. It's what I grew up in. Um, you know, there's so many stories of children sneaking out of their bed real quick just to say it one more time because they were afraid that they were going mean, to. I grew up watching the Lost, Be- the Left Behind series, the 1970 yeah. version, which is kind of oh, creepy wow. in itself. That's a, th- a thief in the night, I think. Thief is in what the that night. Called. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And the I didn't song, know, that, you know, I didn't know there was be anything left before Kirk Cameron. Wow. Oh man, Kirk Cameron is like PG compared to this. I mean, it's oh yeah, it's pretty intense. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah. Or uh, multiple rededications, multiple, uh, multiple baptisms, Mm -hmm. you know, one Lord, one faith, countless baptisms as I call that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, folks, uh, we, uh, we are so grateful for John and for his, uh, for, uh, the fellow Theocast fellows uh, for what they've done. And we appreciate John, appreciate you spending some time with us. Uh, John and the Theocast hosts have a new book called Safe in Christ, and we want to point you guys to visit theocast.org and check that out. And John, we're going to, we're actually going to give away a, a copy of your book to one of our listeners. So we're so grateful for, for your ministry and for what you're doing at the Theocast, and we appreciate you spending some time uh, talking through uh, uh, the, the beauty of uh, assurance that we have in Christ. So. Thanks for joining us today. Folks, thanks for listening to another episode of Assurance of Pardon. Gage, tell everybody all the housekeeping they need to know at the end here. Yeah, you're definitely going to want to know and listen for it this week um, so you can win a free book, right? So um, please be sure and follow us at assuranceofpardon.com, or you can um, follow us anywhere um, on social media. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. We're not on TikTok yet because I can't get Scott to dance. But uh, we're at least on the main uh, three, and that's where the giveaway will be um, in the upcoming week. Um, we also would love for you to subscribe anywhere that you listen to your podcast. I think we have covered every platform that we are aware of and know of. If there's, if there's one area that you don't find um, the podcast, please let us know. Um, hit us up uh, there. This is Assurance Department.